On your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 7th edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast for 2017, we catch up with Collingwood Marquee, Emma King, coach of the Geelong VFL women's team, Paul Hood, premiership captain for the Darwin Buffets, Lucy Adam, the Seattle Grizzlies, Valerie Barber, Exthelm, and we preview round 7 of the AFL women's competition with girlsplayfooty.com contributor, Marissa Ludanek. All that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to episode 7 of season 3 of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Of course, you can hear this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings at quarter past 6 on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne. And of course, if you're not in Melbourne, you can stream it live by going to rsn.net.au, clicking on digital radio and searching for the RSN Carnival channel. Otherwise, Thursday mornings is when our podcast goes up on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search for Girls Play Footy and of course, the podcast is always free. Let's get into the first of our interviews. A marquee from the Collingwood Football Club, Emma King. She was recruited out of the Coastal Titans in WA. She was thrust onto the national stage back in 2015, which was taken as the first draft pick for the AFL Women's Draft. Now, that draft, of course, was for the exhibition matches. Uh, she was taken as pick number one for the Western Bulldogs. Uh, really stamped her name on the national stage. And it was no surprise, really, that in the middle of 2016, she was taken as one of the 16 original marquees her and Moana Hope taken by the Collingwood Football Club and she has dominated this AFLW season and it's great to have on the line Emma King. Uh, Emma I need to ask you the question how does it feel uh, being just a couple of years ago just an ordinary everyday person a complete stranger to everybody uh, outside your circle of friends and now having your name thrust onto the national stage as being one of the top marquee players of this competition. Yeah, I mean, I think it's not been a huge change, but it's been a, a, a positive change and a and a happy change. And um, instead of playing footy as a hobby now, I have to take it more seriously. And now it's a semi-professional thing that I do every day of my life. And before being picked up as a marquee uh, for Collingwood, how did it feel when the tag is being thrown around that this woman is the number one ruck woman in Australia? Yeah, I mean, the new tag is, was interesting to take hold. Um, I'd only actually started playing ruck at the start of 2015, or 2015, sorry. So um, to then two years, or a year later, I'd say, to be named the best ruck in the in Australia, that's a, a huge honour, and um, I don't take it lightly, no. And it's been a big two years as well. I mean, when you throw in there such, not only the exhibition games, but you had a, a rare chance of history where you played for WA in that game against Victoria for the first time in 17 years, knocking off the Vicks. Yeah, that was an awesome win. Uh, probably one of my most favourite and memorable achievements in my sporting career. So I think all the girls, it was great to be a part of and um, will definitely be in our highlight reel of our careers. Heading towards the draft for uh, 2016 that would form the players for the 2017 AFLW season, uh, uh, clubs put in their list that they uh, wanted uh, for marquees. Uh, for you, what made the decision to go to a Victorian club where you could have easily been, no doubt, picked up by Fremantle if you wanted to stay in WA? Yeah, so I actually got um, called by Fremantle and Collingwood um, as options for their marquees. They said, we want to offer you marquee and spoke with both clubs and spoke with my family and I thought um, this is probably the right time in my life to make the big move and um, go out on a limb and go over to Victoria and go to the biggest club in the country and um, home of footy in Melbourne and just see how I go. So I made the big move and I had no responsibilities at home. So, yeah, I just thought, why not? Let's do it. Can you give us an insight to some of the things that are raised during those conversations when, they're, when they want you to become a marquee? What kind of probing questions are they asking you? Um, what you'd bring to the club and um, especially when I spoke to Collingwood it was what you hope to achieve out of this year in your personal development on and off the field and how you want your um, teammates to perceive you as a player and as a person Um, so mine was more in the focus of building my leadership skills and obviously developing myself as a player in ruck and um, uh, becoming a more versatile player moving forward um, into the forward forward line and um, yeah, hopefully making good friendships along the way, I suppose. 
Now, you're one of uh, three WA women that came across for the pies, including uh, Schleicher and uh, and Caitlin Edwards as well. Did you all end up uh, grouping together and sharing a house? Have you all gone your separate ways and decided to find an independent living in Melbourne? Um, well, we all knew each other beforehand, so Tara Morgan's the fourth one. Of course. Um, knew of each other, and um, I actually got... I was I moved in with a, a netballer that came to Collingwood, and Ruby was asked to live with us as well because she was only 18. And then Tara and Caitlin Edwards um, moved in together, so we were two and two. So good to still be amongst your teammates, uh, at least to have some familiarity uh, in, in a strange new city. How have you found settling into life, being now a Melbourneian? Yeah, it's quite nice. Um, I mean... I don't think much has changed. I think I'm mature enough to, to move states and um, take on some um, responsibilities of living on my own um, without the fan bam. And, um, yeah, I think it's fine. The only thing I'm not coping with is the weather change that's soon coming upon us with winter. Don't worry, you're in Melbourne. Just give it 15 minutes and the weather will change. That's what all the lockers <laughs> say. Um, also being in Melbourne, just touching something off-field for a moment, of course, you did a, a degree in architecture. So yep. have, you, have you found that inspiring for you off the field, particularly the uh, Victorian-era-style buildings around Melbourne? Um, to be honest, I haven't really looked into it that much, actually. <laughs> um I've just been go, go, go with footy. So I haven't had a lot of time to take myself out of it, but definitely going to take that more serious approach once the AFL season's over. Can you give us the insight to what is a typical day like, a non-match day for an AFLW marquee? Um, A lot of Netflix. Um, That's new to me, so I enjoy watching TV series. No, it's probably doing the um, the around-the-house domestic chores, making sure I'm ready for the rest of the week, so get my laundry done make sure I'm having my three meals, but just relaxing, um, making sure I'm not on my feet all the time, just getting in that rest when I can. Are you getting used to what I call the ambassador-type roles with, with the Magpies, particularly when you've got to go out, for example, to Auskick clinics and you've got to keep in charge of the kids, uh, also at primary schools, and whether it be on the other side where you've got to go to a corporate luncheon or whatever and speak on behalf of the club? Yeah, I'm quite happy to represent the club and um, represent the players as well. I think everyone's welcoming whichever environment you go into, whether it's the kids and the teachers and the parents, they probably get more excited than the students do. But um, the same with when you go to a corporate function, they're very professional. And I think um, Collingwood helped us stay professional and um, allowed us to act appropriately at each experience. Focusing just on the field for a moment, as we alluded to earlier, three and three, um, you've got three wins in a row. Is there anything that you personally can pinpoint you think was the turning point for the Magpies to get things together, to get that winning combination right? I think um, it's probably the point where we just said, let's go back to basics and play footy and make sure we're enjoying it and playing for each other. So um, the camaraderie of each other is probably what's banded us together and we may have lost it in those first couple of rounds, but we somehow brought it around to the fourth round and we've been able to keep it up since. And, of course, as we mentioned earlier, being the number one ruck in Australia, so it's interesting to have your perspective on some of the other rucks you've been going up against. For for example, the likes of Sabrina Frederick-Torb uh, down at the Brisbane Lions. Uh, then you throw in, of course, um, uh, McKinnon, who, of course, is a Rising Star nominee and you took on uh, this weekend. How have you viewed the uh, other rucks and who have you seen as, as the biggest threats or the biggest challenges to your game? Um, so I'll, I'll go through all of them. Who do I have first? Carlton. Alison Downey, um, versus her from the majority of the game. She was probably, I had no idea who she was coming into the, the league. So that, that puts a little bit of doubt into me, but also, um, keeps me positive. So I don't have to focus on their game as much, but she's been really good. I know she's developed a lot over the ground, um, over the round, sorry. Um, she's really good with her possessions around the ground and disposals. So that helps her, um, as an extra mid around the ground. Um, who does second? Who did we have second? Uh, you had Melbourne. Oh, Melbourne. Yeah. yeah, Lauren Pierce. I versed her last year, so I knew a lot about her. and She's really good with body work, so I knew going into that game, um, I've got to make sure I stay strong. And um, if we get first possession of the ball, that's really good for our teammates. And Sabs, Sabrina was, yeah, I versed her in WA a lot. She's gotten really good, got her leaf up a bit. She versed her in the middle. Um, and then their other ruck was a bit shorter, so I think I was able to get over the top of her with that one. But, yeah, Sadie's gotten really good. She's obviously keeping up her possessions. And then 
um, going forward. So she's done really well as a versatile player for Brisbane. Um, Bulldogs, Tiana Ernst, the first her as well when she played for Melbourne. She's very good at body work and um, her tackling pressure, which has showed in her stats over the over the coming weeks. And um, yeah, so she's she's a hard one to get to. So she stays in contact the whole time and um, knows how to take away my advantages as well um, with my leaps. So she's a tough component opponent. And Erin McKinnon never versed her before. First person to be taller than me in a ruck contest. So. Um, that was a huge challenge. She got me in the centre a couple of times, but um, again, I was able to find her weaknesses in um, body work, so um, made sure I capitalised on that and um, gave it my mid's first ball use. Of course, one legendary player you've got on your list is Lou Watton, your fellow ruck. Uh, 20 and 17 uh, hitouts respectively between you uh, for the GWS match. What has it been like to be able to have someone of the calibre of Lou Watton to spar with at training sessions? Yeah, it's really good to have someone um, like Lou with all her experience and knowledge of the game. She's able to help me on my game. I'm able to help her on her game versing someone for her versing someone that's taller. So um was able to help her prepare for McKinnon on the weekend. And um, she's great with body work. And it's also good to have Ruby Schleicher, our other ruck, um, who's an aerial ruck. So all three of us have options of going up against body and aerial um, every single training session. So we've got a really good mix of rucks and, um, yeah, hopefully it keeps us going through the games. It's much being talked about uh, for the psychology of, of the last round game against the Adelaide Crows because, obviously, uh, if Melbourne get done, you're technically a mathematical chance, though. A lot needs to happen uh, to, to sneak into the top two spot. Should Melbourne win, you're still in, a, I guess, a great position to be a spoiler and uh, deny uh, the Crows a, a grand final spot. Yeah, um, I mean, we're obviously just going in the game focusing on making sure we get the, the W at the end of the end of the season so we finish four and three. But... Um, um, there is still that mathematical chance, so we'll see how Frio and Melbourne go, and then we'll see um, what we need to be done in the in the final four quarters for us at Olympic Park Oval on uh, Sunday, Park, yeah. indeed. And uh, it seems hard to believe that the season is almost over because how short it is. So, what's next on the cards for Emma King post AFLW season? Um, well, we all get a couple couple of weeks break before VFL starts, so. Um, I'll take some time for a bit of R&R and and then um, focus on finding a a VFL club and um, playing that season out, yeah. Well, Emma, thank you very much for your time and we certainly wish you all the very best in your Round 7 clash against the Adelaide Crows at Olympic Park Oval. And then, of course, uh, when you pull on the boots for whatever club you choose to play in the Swiss VFL Women's Competition of 2017, which, of course, all kicks off on the weekend of May 6th and 7th. And on that note, which club will Emma go to? It makes you ponder, who needs a ruck woman? Maybe the St Kilda Sharks, maybe the VU Western Spurs, perhaps Box Hill. Only time will tell which club uh, Emma will sign up with for the VFL Women's Competition. And while we're talking about that competition, we've also got on the line the coach of the inaugural Geelong VFL Women's side in Paul Hood. Paul, thank you very much for joining us. And, uh, well, what a challenge you've got. You're pulling together a brand new side. We spoke to Patrick Hill, the coach of Box Hill, last week. You're one of the other new clubs you took over. Um, North Geelong spot in the VFL women's competition. Um, how you been with this pre-season, cutting down the list and now counting down the weeks to uh, not only your first practice game, but obviously May 6th and your first match for Premiership points against the Box Hill Hawks? Yeah, starting to get pretty excited now, mate. It's been a long pre-season, as you can imagine, with the late season uh, for the women's VFL. So getting closer to the first practice match and, and starting to get really excited now. Let's rewind back to about uh, mid-November and the trial day. Uh, what were your expectations uh, heading into that as you had to put together a, a brand-new list? Yeah, expectations were just to expect the unknown, really. We were um, scouting from everywhere, seeing girls from different sports, girls from outside of Geelong, and, of course, players from the North Geelong Magpies that had come over. So our expectations were really to be open for everything, and we were really pleased with the level of talent. We saw it at our talent ID day, and um, it's been great to work with the girls ever since. There's been some extraordinary numbers showing up, haven't there? I mean, I've heard from the Box Hill Hawks, they had something like 120 show up at their day. Yeah, I think we had 160 at Deakin in the first place, and obviously some of those girls have gone on to play with the Geelong Falcons in the TAC Youth Girls, but huge numbers and, and great support and awareness of women's footy around the Geelong region.
So what were some of the things looked at on trial day? What did you try to do to assess and, and try and give you an idea of who might be good enough to make the initial cut for your list? Well, obviously, we had the athletic tests, you know, so we had the girls running and we did some speed tests and we tested a bit of agility as well. Um, also, the footy skills and having a look at the girls that had some talent, the girls that had a kick before and thought maybe it would help them with their athleticism and uh, the crossover of some of those girls from other sports and, and how hard it was going to be to teach them the kick mark and handball. Uh, breaking that down, how much percentage would you roughly say of those that uh, are currently playing women's football or have at least played it in, say, a junior capacity in the past? Um, I think we've got 15 girls that came into our squad that weren't playing football at all in any shape and form when they came in. Um, a number of those had played a little bit at school, um, but none of them had played in any organised competition. So that was in the 45 we initially worked with. That was a third of that squad hadn't played footy at all. And as you alluded to earlier about the North Geelong Magpies, of course, the licence swaps happened where they've gone back to play now in the AFL Goldfields competition and the Geelong Cats now take over their spot in the VFL uh, women's competition. Um, how many players in the North Geelong Magpies are you looking at making up as part of, I guess, the spine of your squad? Yeah, it's probably going to be about eight to a dozen, I think, on a weekly basis that we'll play. We've had 15 players that were in the Magpies squad last year that have trained with us throughout the pre-season. So they'll make up a fair contingent of the team as well. And those girls have been instrumental in you know, welcoming some of the other girls to the Geelong region and playing footy and been really great connectors for our squad. Um, the Magpies have done a great job you know, keeping footy alive, women's footy alive in the Geelong region. And we're still working closely with them going forward. And, of course, no doubt you would have the fingers crossed that uh, the likes of uh, Mithin, Cranston, uh, Matty Boyd that have played for North Geelong will continue to pull on the hoops for the Cats. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've been really open to all of those girls coming back and, and playing with Geelong in the winter and continuing to work on their games. Obviously, you know, we understand that with none of the girls being full professionals, that obviously work has to take priority for them. And if they end up in, in Melbourne or other regions, well, we wish them all the best. But we're really excited. Now, with those girls coming back and, and increasing the professionalism and, and lifting the standards of the group. I, I guess that's one tough thing for you, isn't it, being based in Geelong? Unlike the other VFL women's sides that are based in the suburbs, they can try and convince women, uh, particularly those, for say, from WA that moved to Victoria to, to come to their clubs because it's close to the CBD, where if someone wants to come from Melbourne to Geelong, that's that big one-hour commitment, isn't it, to make the drive? Yeah, it's a bit of a challenge that way, obviously, and... and you know, ladies that work in Melbourne and being able to get to, to training afterwards is probably more convenient for them. But we've got a few too that have been in, in Werribee in the western suburbs that would rather drive down to Geelong and go against the traffic than have to fight through it to the other side. So that's been a bonus. And obviously, we've got some girls from Ballarat and Bendigo that have joined our squad because they'd rather play in a regional centre than actually have to go through all the hullabaloo of driving in Melbourne every second night. And I guess that poses a good question as well. If I'm correct, you're probably looking at a list of 40. So for those that don't make the cut, you're looking to feed them off uh, on those uh, days they're not playing to the likes of North Geelong, Drysdale and some of the Ballarat clubs? Absolutely, yeah. And we've got a, you know, a couple of girls that have been aligned with Sunbury and Bacchus Mars that you know, will play in the AFL Goldfields competition as well. So um, it's a terrific initiative from AFL Victoria to start a comp in that region. And we welcome our girls playing any of those clubs. So... Obviously, with the way we've done it with the VFL men's before, we've always had um, feeder clubs that have come to us and run a, a similar model with the women's team. So for yourself, Paul, how did the conversation initially begin for you to take on the uh, role of coaching the inaugural Geelong women's side? Yeah, well, um, the Geelong Footy Club was really keen to, to staff the program well from the get-go. So we've actually got, we've got three full-time employees of the club that work with the women's VFL, which is probably pretty rare. Myself and, and Monica Kelly in S&C and George Seawood in admin. Uh, they've all been working at a club for some time now, so we wanted to make sure that we were really able to give the, the new girls a level of service that we try and provide for our VFL men's program as well. So after coaching VFL men's in 2015 and then spending some time in player development last year, um, yeah, it was a nice synergy to be able to come in and, and offer the same sort of program we'd done with the VFL men's to the women. So I was really, really happy to be asked by the club to take on the role. And how much exposure had you and, and some of the coaching staff had previously to women's football? Uh, to women's football, not a lot. I've got to be honest. Um, took the Magpies for training a couple of times last year and reviewed a few games and, and brought the Magpies squad in and, and went through the game and dissected it like we would have for an AFL or a VFL game. So, you know, a little bit of experience in the Magpies team, but my broader knowledge of the women's competition is um, not that broad at all, really. 
You talked about dissecting the game. Because the AFL Women's is currently on at the moment, have you had an opportunity, I guess, with the squad to sit down, view AFL Women's matches and talk about the style of game plan that's being implemented there and what you'd like to incorporate into your game plan? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like the rest of Victoria, we've taken a lot of notice of the AFL Women's competition. It's been fantastic. You know, I've been to a couple of games and most of the girls in our squad have got friends with girls that are playing the competition, you know, so they've been to have a look too. So it's been lots of talk about it. Um, obviously, we'll learn a bit uh, from the new competition. Uh, no one gets it perfect, but wow, the enthusiasm for women's footy, it's been sensational and uh, it's great for everyone involved. And what's the practice match schedule looking like for the Cats to build up to May 6th? Yeah, we've got three practice matches coming up. Um, one of them is essentially an intra-club where we'll play with the North Geelong Magpies and do a best versus the rest, perhaps. Um, then we're lucky enough to take on the AFL Vic Women's Academy and Darren Flanagan's team and, and work with them. And we've got a few members of our squad that are in that team. So it should be a great hit out. And then we'll finish off with a game for Drysdale against the U Western Spurs. So a really good hit out for us prior to round one. And of course, Drysdale uh, also fielding a women's team, we should mention, in the AFL Goldfields competition, them starting off anew as well. Um, the big day, of course, is uh, May 6th. Uh, it is a, a doubleheader with the VFL men's at Skilled Stadium when you host the Box Hill Hawks. Bit of an unusual one for you going into that. Both don't know much about each other because they're a debutante side as well. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Geelong Hawthorne rivalry is a big one. So. Two unknown teams playing their first game in a rivalry round. It's pretty weird, but I'm sure it's going to be a great event for the footy community. Well, Paul, thank you very much for your time, and we wish you all the very best in your upcoming practice matches. And then, of course, your first match for Premiership points against the Box Hill Hawks on Saturday, May 6th at Simmons Stadium. That's Cadenia Park in Geelong. Now it's time to head up north to the Northern Territory where just recently they had the AFL-NT Women's Premier League Grand Final. It was a curtain raiser, in fact, to the AFLW match between the Adelaide Crows and the Melbourne Demons. Waratah were going for their sixth flag in a row. They'd won five previously and they were stopped in their tracks by the Darwin Buffets. And it's my privilege to have on the line the captain of that Premiership winning team in Lucy Adam. Lucy, thank you very much for joining us here on the Girls Play Footy podcast. First, I need to ask you, how does it feel to have the title Premiership Captain? Oh, absolutely phenomenal. I'm still trying to wrap my head around everything. The weekend just feels like a blur, but no, just I think, you know, myself, everyone, all my teammates, coaching staff, we're just, you know, absolutely wrapped at the moment on cloud nine. Can I take you back about six months prior to the start of the season? Um, we've all known that Waratah, a dominant club, they've won their fifth premiership in a row. You're about to begin another season. What's going through your mind when you look at the fixture and you're thinking, we've got to not only come up against this side, if we want to win the flag, we have to beat this dominant team? Yeah, I think, you know, we really just took things one week at a time. We, um, we set a, a really big plan at the start of the season um we got together and you know we set a goal um that we wanted to make a grand final and um we just worked towards that we we did a lot of things culture wise within our team to just change things up to make sure that we were successful in achieving that goal and um i think you know the turning point was really uh when we beat waratahs at their home ground um just after christmas and that's when it really just hit us that hey you know we're we're moving along and that goal is in sight and um, I think that's when we really started to to take things um, that little bit more seriously in that you know we we were in a really good chance of taking out the flag getting that premiership yeah and what a season for you uh, prior to the finals you managed to actually edge Waratah on percentage to uh, finish top of the table yeah I mean um, you know people kind of spoke about us as being um, you know, the ones on top and Waratahs were kind of the underdogs. But I think, you know, we kind of, um, I could say we surprised ourselves at the same time. We, we knew deep down the depth of our, our team and, you know, we knew that they they also had a lot of experience um, just playing finals footy and that, you know, if we just tick the boxes and we worried about ourselves and our game plan and um, just our style of footy, that we would be able to come out on top. And, yeah, we did. 
Of course, coming into this season for a number of players, you're coming fresh off the back of uh, there was a lightning series being played during uh, uh, during the winter months uh, up there in uh, the NT. And of course, we have all the hype around uh, AFLW. So with all this hype and professionalism coming in, how much did that change, I guess, the training and the way you approach football compared to previous seasons? I think, you know, the lightning series comp was just phenomenal to be able to play with uh, different girls from within the clubs in the NTFL, it was fantastic. We we got to play in the dry, which was even better for conditions and just being able to mix and mingle and it really raised the standards amongst everyone. We really, you know, we were so excited week in, week out. I, I personally, I didn't, I didn't get to play. I was coming off an injury, but just being a part of things from the coaching side, um, the energy and the buzz, it was really high for women's footy in the NT. Coming into grand final day, uh, normally your match is the, the feature match on the day. Uh, normally there's the men's preliminary final, but the big uh, the big game is the grand final for the women's. A little bit different this year. You actually were acting as a curtain raiser to the AFLW grand final. Did you sense a different hype about the day because of the occasion that uh, the Crows in Melbourne would be playing in town? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit nerve-wracking, to tell you the truth. Um, tried Tried not to think about the fact that, you know, we were the curtain raiser, but um, I think, you know, AFLNT did a really good job of putting under-15s, under-18s, you know, us women all on that same day before the um, the Crows and Demons match, and I just think, you know, it really just highlighted women's footy um, and the pathways we've got happening up here, so it was, it was so exciting. And of course, you came into the grand final where things were uh, tight there at half time. What was said in the rooms when, uh, or I guess, Waratah were coming, and you know, you could you could have easily folded. You could be easily saying, "Oh, you know, they've done it before and they're going to do it again." What was said to stop them in their tracks? Um, well, we kind of, you know, when it got to the business end of the season, we really spoke about just our composure under pressure, and um, our assistant coach Trudy, she she really kind of took us to um, something about Muhammad Ali and, you know, just his whole rope-a-dope. And that was something that we really, um, we tried to focus on is that, you know, teams would come out swinging against us and, you know, we'd we'd want to obviously come back firing in that um, really uncomfortable style of play that we have. But we had to really stay composed and just ride it out, rope-a-dope, ride it out, ride it out, and then hit them when they least expect it. And, and, you know, I think we did that. We we rode under their pressure. We we handled it well. And we just came out after that half-time and we just went out firing. I've always said grand finals are made up by players that uh, will catch you by surprise. And one of them for you was only playing, if I'm correct, a sixth game, originally from the Tiwi Islands, 18-year-old Jess Cunningham, awarded best on ground. Yes, Jesse Cunningham. Jeez. Keep that name in the forefront of your mind, she is electrifying. That is the best way to describe her. She is just phenomenal. And the fact that she's so young, she just reads the play so well. She brings people in. She is somebody who you put her in an, a, a women's AFL team and she would bring people through the gate. She has so much potential. And, you know, there, there's so much of that through the NT, though. You know, there's so many Jessies out there as well. Um, that's, I think, what's so exciting about our style of footy. To, to add on to that, is that probably a little bit of nervousness about playing on the day? Because um, not only are you obviously playing for a grand final, but Beck Goddard from the Crows is there. Of course, you've got that SANT partnership where NT players play for the Crows. She's watching on and she could be assessing you and anyone else that's on the park going, that's a potential recruit for next year. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's there's a lot of girls out there who absolutely chomping at the bit to, to play footy at the high, highest standard. So I think, you know, um, that would have been a perfect opportunity for them to be able to show their skill and to show their potential. And, I mean, you know, I think that was the furthest from our mind from a team's perspective. Um, we we just wanted that flag. We wanted to get the job done. But, you know, um, on that grander scale, absolutely, I think, you know, being able to have that opportunity... Um, to show someone such as Beck Goddard what you've got is just awesome. Did you know the moment you had the flag in the bag in the final quarter? Can you sense it coming? Do you know, I think we've got this. And when that siren sounds, what hits you? What feeling? 
I am, um, in all honesty, I, I was so nervous, um, even in the minutes leading up to that siren. You know, I just didn't feel real. Um, was just trying to make sure that everything um, that we did was to make sure that we were in the front, that we were leading, that we were always getting to the ball first and that we were holding possession. And, you know, when, when that siren went, I, I just felt my knees fall under me. I just hit the deck and... I think, you know, it's been such a long time coming. So much has gone into it. Um, but to then just, you know, see my teammates around me just absolutely, you know, come to embrace. I, it's undescribable, that feeling. It, it's something that everyone, you know, everyone works towards that flag, that premiership. And to mention a few other names as well, Kylie Duggan, Isabel Porter, and Michaelia Roberts. Yes, absolutely. They're all superstars. Um, so much potential, so much skill. Um, you know, Kylie Duggan, she's an absolute engine room for us through the midfield. She's come from basketball backgrounds and just so much skill, so much talent. Um, you know, Michaela Roberts, um, we, we refer to her as Mickey. You know, she she has been the rising star up here in the um, NTFL for a number of seasons. And, you know, she's she's a mum of three and she she's always said she's, she's a mum first and then, you know, footy comes second and, you know, she just gives everything she's a lethal left foot um you know goal sneak she's so elusive and you know you go to someone like izzy as well izzy she's got the world of her at her feet she's got so much potential and you know she's head, headed down to melbourne um as we speak to, to have a bit of a trial run with team down there so yeah i mean for those girls and also we've got crystal brown bubba um that's another one who just you know, has so much skill and potential and um, really, you know, the list goes on and on. We've, we've got so many girls who, um, you know, could be thrown into that mix, so many more in the NTFL, to tell you the truth. There's so much talent. Which is fantastic to uh, hear as uh, the competition starts to grow. And I guess the good thing is about, with all due respect to Waratah, with you winning the premiership, it kind of breaks it open and it makes teams think, OK, next year could be our year, as much, of course, as you want to go back-to-back. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that, that would be the dream to go back-to-back. But I think, you know, um, it, it really has. The competition's opened up. It's, it's really shown that um, it's anybody's and, you know, the competition as itself up here in the NT, it's really starting to grow. And the fact that we've got under 15s, under 18s, and all those girls pushing on up through, um, it's really starting to raise the standard. And um, it's, it's such an exciting time for us up here. And as well, I should point out that, of course, with your season going on at the same time as the AFLW season, has there been any chance, I guess, at your training sessions that your coaches uh, pointed out video from what's been done in the AFLW saying, well, this is what they're doing here. This is what we probably need to be doing here. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of talk um, at training sessions. You know, that that's pretty much, you know, we, we train on a Monday, Wednesday. So on the Mondays, we, you know, we have a bit of a chat about some of the games over the weekend and I know that, you know, we tried to um, follow something defensively that was very similar to the Crows um, with just a few tweaks. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's great to, to look at what is happening in the women's comp um, and to be able to say, ah, OK, that's, that's what, you know, we're aiming for. That's what we're really trying to achieve as well. And because the likes of um, uh, throwing there the Abby Holmes, the Ange Foley's, Taylor Thorns, uh, Sally Riley's, etc., have been doing well on the uh, national stage with the Crows, has that uh, given a highlight and interest in the NTFL women's division? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think there's plenty of girls um, who, you know, they would absolutely love to be wearing the Crows colours. You know, wearing any club's colours and you know, playing out there and um, playing at the highest level as well. You know, there's there's a lot of girls who hold that goal very highly um, that are striving towards achieving that goal. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, having having people such as Ange and, you know, Sally and Abby and Heather Anderson and Taylor Thorne, all those girls, they, they really are um, paving the way and leading the way for the rest of us 
Lucy, once again, congratulations and thank you very much for joining us here on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. That's Lucy Adam, Premiership Captain of the Darwin Buffets. Now it's time to go northwest, but not the northwest of Australia, the northwest of the United States, where there's the Seattle Grizzlies. Now they were a men's Aussie rules football club that was formed in the late 90s and they're just about ready to celebrate their 20th anniversary. They've been a long stay of the US AFL competition, but they made an important important breakthrough last year when they formed their own women's team and one of the founding members of that team is Valerie Barber Exthalm and it's a pleasure to have her on the line. Valerie, thank you very much for joining us here at girlsplayfooty.com. Like we ask every non-Australian, how did you find Aussie rules football? So I just moved to Arizona a couple years ago. I didn't know many people and I'd always been into sports so I was looking for a new sport to pick up, and uh, the Arizona Hawks, which had a women's team at the time, uh, they were recruiting and got me out to a practice, and I was addicted, so I stayed and uh, traveled with them, and then, you know, the rest was history, I guess. It's, a, it's an amazing um, hotbed for talent, hasn't it been, the uh, Arizona Ladyhawks, because quite a few women footballers in the U.S. have come out of that and gone to all different parts of the country. Yeah, and started teams when they've moved across the country, which is pretty amazing. Of course, we've got Melissa there um, working really hard to keep building women's talent in Arizona, which is great. So you've ended up in Seattle, and uh, last year they got going a women's side, got women involved as part of the Grizzlies. How did that conversation and all of that happen? Uh, Basically, I learned I was moving to Seattle, and I emailed the club and said, hey, ask them if they had a women's team, and... They said no, but I could continue to practice with them. And uh, I talked to Portland, and they were just ramping up their women's team. Heather's down there in Portland, and she was just moving there. And so I turned to the men and said, hey, can we start a women's team? And then we can start a league in the Northwest, and we can play Portland, and we can look at Vancouver and play Vancouver. And the men were very supportive and said, yeah, we've always wanted a women's team. We've just had nobody to lead it. So Um, come organize it and we'll support you with the coaching and funds and uniforms. So, I mean, it was pretty easy to get started when you have a men's club uh, that's been as supportive as our men's club has been. The Grizzlies have been around for a long time, haven't they, since the late 90s? Yeah, about, I think, 20 years now, they said. That is an extraordinary innings uh, for a USAFL club to be around for that long and that established. And as you said, you you started the process of getting a, a women's side together. What tactics have you been using to try and uh, draw in uh, American women and any Australians that might be lurking around Seattle to come and play with your team? Uh, so mostly it's been trying to advertise, uh, which isn't really my expertise, but I've been working with the men and... Uh, we have a more uh, professional-looking Facebook now, and we use that to advertise the different groups that might be interested, such as we ha- there's a Facebook uh, for Australians in Seattle, and we advertise there. And we advertise um, big events and uh, pickup games, and we advertise to the uh, groups like the rugby groups or the soccer groups that might be interested in converting their skills into a new sport. Um, and then we encourage... Uh, men and women to bring friends and family to come to uh, our more low-key games, such as uh, our Australia Day game, which is hosted every year. And we use that as a fun way to draw people in. Um, And we uh, follow that up with an Oswald season, which um, is our, like, low-contact version 99 um, season that just started last weekend. And uh, we try to Uh, draw new players in learning the skills with a game that isn't necessarily as intimidating as a full tackle game. And, um, I mean, we're starting to get more successful at drawing new players and using these uh, advertising methods. What did it mean to you personally that day on the 25th of June last year when you took on the Vancouver Vixens uh, with, of course, the help of the Portland Sockeyes to have the first uh, women's Grizzlies team run out onto the ground? It was, as silly as it sounds, it was extremely emotional for me. Um, I'm not necessarily the most social person, so being able to recruit enough women to have a home game was 
extremely uh, amazing, and it was it was great to see how supportive our club was to bring um, Portland up and to have enough girls to even have a game. And um, I don't I don't know if you heard, but I was playing that day with a broken finger, and so every time I caught the ball. <laughs> There was a little bit of pain, but um, I kept telling the guys that the tears were all, like, of joy, that I was so excited that we were finally playing a home game. Um, I guess that comes back to the article where they've uh, nicknamed you Valerie the Finger, Barbara Axtelm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That was – I I started a women's club, played the first game, and then couldn't play most of the season with a broken finger. So uh, it was uh, well-named, I guess. And, of course, uh, the other women to join you on that occasion included Alison uh, Leonard, nicknamed Lights Out, Elizabeth uh, Langmaid, nicknamed The Lion, China Lenz, nicknamed The Rock, uh, Sage Reed Cows, nicknamed Rowdy, and Rachel Manning, The Machine. Yeah, um, those are um, pretty much the starting girls of our team. We had a, we had a few girls missing just due to the date, um, but they have been amazing um pretty much none of them had heard of australian rules football and came out and asking for extra practices all season working harder than um you would have time to work for a new sport that they're picking up um we were practicing at least twice a week leading up to that game just to try to teach them the rules um and then they step out on the field and they're trying to remember all the different position names, which are, you know, slightly different than U.S. sports. And um, they, each one of those girls has guts and courage. And it it's, was an honor playing with them. And I'm looking forward to continue, continuing to play with them this season. In the Western Regional Tournament, you uh, teamed up with uh, Vancouver and Arizona, if I'm correct, and uh, finished a respectable second. Yeah, and and it was a great tournament. We uh, loved teaming up with Arizona um, because we knew the girls from Arizona and they're spectacular women to play with. And uh, the girls were really excited to team up with Vancouver because we had played and we didn't know many of the other teams in the regional. So it was was great that that worked out. And um, I think... Uh, even if second place is uh, respectable, I, most of our girls are cringing at remembering that last-minute goal that cost them first. Uh, but it's got to be something to try and spur you on. I guess uh, there is a, a happy ending as part of it because you teamed up as part of the combination with Portland uh, in Division 2 of the um, US AFL Nationals, taking out the title in October. Yeah, that was incredible. Most of... Uh, uh, I mean, we we were only able to take three women because it was a newer team and across the nation. But being able to play with Portland and learn from their experienced players and um, pretty much dominate nationals was was an incredible experience. Um, not just because of the winning, the winning, but because of the um, because of the support and. Um, I'm looking, like the community that Portland has provided us throughout the year, I don't think we would be at the position that we're at right now with uh, the numbers we have for this season without Portland. So it's great to be able to play with them and learn from their their national team players. And what are the numbers sitting like at the moment for the women's side in Seattle? Uh, so through our Oswald season, we have uh, 12 girls signed up. And I know that we've got more coming after ski season officially ends in the Northwest. Um, it's it's pretty popular here. So uh, some of our senior players are, are coming back after ski season. So that, sh- that should be exciting. I'm hoping to take a solid 12 to regionals this year and a 12 to 14 to nationals minimum. I mean, I don't, I don't see why we couldn't, we we're, we're every practice we've got new girls coming in and excited to join the team. So, and as well, that really should help your numbers this year at the Nationals, shouldn't it? That, that it's it's on the West Coast being played down in San Diego. Yeah, I'm, I told uh, the team that it was in San Diego this year and uh, the girls that couldn't go last year are very excited to be able to attend this year because 
cuts down on our travel time and uh, it's it's cheaper for people starting a new sport. And what's it been like from, from your perspective watching on that? As you said, Portland's just nearby that started up, but also seeing other new clubs pop up around the place, such as if you head down the coast, Los Angeles is now going to be fielding a team. And uh, over in Minnesota, they're going to start another team, the North Star Blue Ox. How does it feel to have all these new women's sides popping up? I mean, it's just amazing. And I think um, it's just going to be great for the sport and for the competition level to rise. Um, I know... I know the girl who's who's helping start the LA team, and I'm just so excited for her because she's already got um, numbers. And I I know the Minnesota girls will do great. They've had um, almost two teams for the freeze for the last few nationals, so it'll be good for them to have a good competition locally, and then be able to take more more women to nationals. Um, I just think it's amazing with uh, the women's pro teams starting this year as well, uh, how much the sport is going to grow, and I'm really excited um, to watch it do so. Being on the West Coast, that means it's been friendlier viewing times uh, for those that want to watch AFLW that's being streamed online via uh, Watch AFL. Have you caught a few games yourself, and uh, have the girls been talking about it? I know. uh, I sent the link out to the girls week one, and um, they've been watching a few of the games. I know we're going to have a, a watch party for the final game, and I've, I've caught a few myself. I've been watching the Lions. I mean, they're a great team to watch. So I'm really, it's really exciting to see um, women playing so you can see reasonable expectations about how far we can kick and, and see how the game is played because it's slightly different than the men's game. So um, it's been great being able to learn from watching their game. Well, Valerie, thank you very much for your time. We wish you all the very best in your uh, local tournaments up in the northwest of the United States uh, and playing Osball, Metro footy, and, of course, uh, when you do get the chance, 18-a-side footy when the Western Regional Tournament comes around for the U.S. and around, uh, I think, around July, and then, of course, in October when you've got the USAFL Nationals down in San Diego, California. And if you happen to know a friend that lives in Seattle, they might be Aussie, they might be an American or another nationality, but they're keen on taking up women's Aussie rules football. Tell them they can go to the website seattlefooty.com to find out more about the Seattle Grizzlies. During the week, another two NAB Rising Star nominations were announced. One of them was Catherine Smith for the Melbourne Football Club, the other being Brittany Benici for the Collingwood Magpies, and she spoke with Collingwood TV on Tuesday afternoon. Yeah, I was stoked. I mean, it's been a pretty exciting few weeks down at the clubs and things are starting to pull together on the field, and I think that when they start to come together on the field, then the little reward starts to come off the field and that's why I think this nomination definitely goes deeper than just personal performance. That's Brittany Benici recruited from the St Kilda Sharks and I should mention that Catherine Smith was recruited from the Eastern Devils. Congratulations to those two women on their NAB Rising Star nominations. It's time to have a look now at round seven of the AFL women's competition and I've got on the line one of our girlsplayfooty.com contributors in Marissa Ladanik. Marissa, thank you very much for joining us and can you believe it when we're talking about round seven, we're not talking about hitting the halfway point of the season. We're literally talking about hitting the end of the season already. I can't believe it. And to be honest, I'm absolutely devastated. The season is not nearly long enough and I can't believe we're going to have to deal with the next 10 months with no AFLW. Well, to be fair, there's state league football, but I think everyone has been enjoying the standard of AFLW. And uh, what a way to kick off round seven. This virtually tells the tale of who's alive and who isn't when it comes to that final spot in the grand final. Uh, 4.35pm local time, Casey Fields, Cranbourne, Melbourne hosting Fremantle. Yeah, it's set to be a very important clash for the Demons. So we're looking forward to that one. It's amazing. I was looking at this game before the start of the season and I thought, oh, this will be a spoiler game. Um, It it could be Melbourne stopping Fremantle from getting to the grand final. It's actually the flip result. Fremantle can't make it, but they're in this hot position where they can stop the Ds from qualifying for the top two. I think both storylines are actually amazing because, as you said, everyone was expecting Freo to be right up there in premiership contention and they're nowhere near it. And with the Demons, I think we all knew they would be good, but I didn't think, uh, especially with their first few results, 
in the season, we didn't think that they would be here pushing so hard for finals football in the end. So it's very interesting how things have panned out. Freo coming into this game with their uh, tails up after finally making it for a win, beating Carlton of all teams and stopping them essentially from getting to uh, the grand final. Uh, what I find interesting out of the game from last week is Juddy, Cara Denalen, the Freo captain, 24 disposals, 8 tackles, 2 goals. I think someone told me to the men's game it was the equivalent of something like 351 super coach points. That's insane. It was amazing. She is an absolute gun and the Judd nickname is very well-deserved and very apt, so she was absolutely brilliant. And as you said, getting the ball that much is just brilliant, and you need your key players to be getting the ball that much and to be contributing in every facet of the game, and she did. They're going to be one to be looking forward to. I'll tell you one player that hasn't really had much of uh, press has been Dana Hooker, and she got 16 disposals uh, last week. She's always been around that 15, 16 disposal mark at least. She, I mean, we talk about Danellen, Antonio, we talk about um, Hayley Miller, Kirby Bentley, but Dana Hooker's just gone about her business and has always been in the top two or three each week for Frio. It's always those players that just sneak under the radar that, you know, they catch you by surprise, but... At the end of the day, you can't always be having your superstars do everything. You need those players to just be putting in the good performance, cons- good performances consistently, and Hooker has definitely done that for the Dockers. Having a look at the uh, Melbourne side, which, uh, let's be honest, uh, they should have cruised a victory against the Crows. Instead, they uh, got out of jail. Uh, the Channel 7 commentary team gave their best on ground to uh, Daisy Pierce, 20 disposals and the one goal. Yeah, I'd have to agree with them, to be honest. Or Karen Paxman, honestly. She's been brilliant all season. Her stats are ridiculous. So, I, you know, she could have gotten it for me, but yeah. Also throw in there as well, uh, as you said, with Paxton, 21 disposals. Lily Mithen just keeps getting better and better every week. Um, straight out of the youth girls into senior football, she's got 16 disposals. Elise Day, 16 disposals. And I'm not sure if you saw the vi- the vision of it, but that one where she had to back back into the pack to try and spoil and virtually got knocked over head over head. That was incredible, and I was very concerned for her safety when I was watching that, but it's good to see that she was all right. But just mentioning those three names, Pierce, Paxman, O'Day, they're absolutely elite, and the three of them are in the top five ball getters in the entire competition. So there's a reason that the Demons are doing so well, and it definitely has to do with those three players. One player as well that uh, would normally deserve praise, but I think for what happened in the final minute or so, it robbed it of her, was Laura Jurea. Jurea went one-on-one with Sarah Perkins, and until the final two minutes of the game, Perkins had one disposal, couldn't get near it, and Jurea on her got 11 disposals, and I say it was all nearly all brought undone because, of course, Perkins got that goal to make it two points of difference with 58 seconds left. Exactly. She was. You've got to contain Tex somehow because otherwise she will run rampant over you. So she did so well against Sarah Perkins there. So going to this game, Melbourne and Fremantle, does Melbourne get the chocolates or does Fremantle get win number two? I've tipped Melbourne, although that probably doesn't um, give Frio's performance against the Blues enough credit, but I just think that Melbourne's momentum at the moment, even though speaking about momentum is very cliched, they do have it at the moment, and I think it will be very hard to stop unless it magically starts raining or something, then Frio might have a chance. And, of course, I should point out that I think it's looking for, like, a dry day and something in the uh, 30s for uh, Melbourne. And as they always say, that uh, Melbourne uh, win in the dry but lose in the wet, so the weather might have something to do with it for them. In fact, I can tell you the weather forecast for Saturday is uh, sunny and 31, so that favours Melbourne. Uh, the Saturday night game is in Canberra, the GWS Giants versus the Western Bulldogs. Who would have thought it? this game is literally a battle for the wooden spoon? It's unbelievable. Again, the doggies up there with Freya as being pre-season premiership contenders and they've really fallen off the wagon. And I think we all expected GWS to be um, competing for the wooden spoon. So it's no surprise they're there. But the fact that the doggies are there battling out to get to seventh spot at least is really bewildering, to be honest. Going into the game for the Bulldogs, of course, they will be without Brennan and without Astro O'Connor, both uh, done for the year with their respective injuries. Um, Emma Carney, last week against the uh, Lions, first woman to crack 30 disposals in this shortened format. 
She is an absolute superstar. It's incredible that she is getting those kind of numbers. I think they said if it was like an equivalent men's game, it would be something like 60 disposals or something like that, which is bonkers. So she has been absolutely brilliant. For me, she's one of the best cross-code pickups of the entire season. Yeah, it's interesting that we assess her as a cross-code pickup, but she has been playing women's footy for quite a number of years at uh, Melbourne University, but somehow manages to balance it with her cricket commitments at Essendon Maribyrnong Park and, of course, with the Melbourne Stars in the uh, Women's Big Bash League. Um, standing captain, Ali Blackburn, 17 disposals. Again, another great captain's game. And uh, Jamie Lambert uh, stepping up with uh, two goals for that game as well, finding a little bit of a uh, purple patch of form. Yeah, she has been. And just on Blackburn, she's been immense, especially in um, Brennan's, ac- uh, Brennan's absence, taking on the um, captain's role. And I think it has been more noticeable that she has been putting in the great performances because Brennan hasn't been there. But she has definitely stepped up to the plate and she's done really well. Having a look at the GWS team, of course, after they uh, got a bit of a touch-up from uh, Collingwood at the Olympic Park Oval, I guess some standouts of them. Tackling pressure as well from Jess Delpos. She's been huge each week. Six tackles again, getting 13 disposals. Collier stepped up with seven tackles. So the GWS are, are proving to create a lot of pressure. It's just they, I guess, haven't been clean with the ball and haven't been able to uh, uh, bring in some of their lesser-known players into the game. Yeah, they have. It's been a, a struggle for them this season. But as you mentioned, Jess Dalpos has been the absolute star. And I would throw in Erin McKinnon into that um, role as well. I reckon she's announced herself as the second best ruck in the comp behind Emma King. So they're definitely the two shining lights for me for the GWS Giants this season. It's the only week that uh, that McKinnon's been out ruck. She had uh, a respectable 20 hitouts, but she went up against Emma King, the best in the country, with 24, and Lou Watton, the legend herself, uh, with 17. So uh, that's not an easy day at the office. No, not at all. But she did really well. I was really impressed with her. I was at the game, and I was very, very impressed with her display. So who takes it out, GWS or the Bulldogs in Canberra? I've tipped the doggies, but I think it might be a close contest just with um, the doggies' injuries. But, you know, it's not the best game to be playing in. It's unfortunate for those two sides, but they've got to battle it out for the wooden spoon. That game live on 7 on Saturday night from uh, 7 p.m. Collingwood and the Adelaide Crows at Olympic Park Oval. Boy, what an interesting game this has become. It's funny, a few weeks ago, we were looking at this match going, oh, this will just be a blowout, it'll be a Crows win, it'll be a dead rubber Sunday game. Instead, two things come into play. Should Collingwood beat the Crows, even by a small margin, uh, depending on what happens in Melbourne Frio, that could knock the, uh, the Crows out of the top two spot. At the same time, should Melbourne lose and the Crows lose and Collingwood win by an extraordinary amount, and when we say extraordinary, I think we're pushing towards the 100-goal mark or 100-point mark or something like that, um, Collingwood could mathematically sneak in. It's amazing that we are still talking about potential Collingwood grand final appearance because, you know, the start of the season, that was just not a possible, not a possibility. Sorry about that. Not, not a possibility, but it just did not seem likely. And I'm very worried about the Crows that they've kind of not had this fade out, but they've, they haven't been getting the results and now they've put themselves in a real sticky situation. Indeed, this competition's been so close. We've always warned that two losses, you're on thin ice, and that's exactly where they are at the moment. They almost got the got-out-of-jail job against uh, Melbourne, but uh, quite simply, it didn't work out. For the uh, for the Pies uh, out of the last game, Brittany Benici, the 18 disposals, um, top possession getter on ground. And with that, that got a, a NAB Rising Star nomination. She did so well, and I was just... Uh, looking at her footy CV, she has done so much. She was vice captain of the Australian AFL High Performance Academy. She captained Victoria's Metro Youth Girls to a national carnival title. She was taken um, as the number two pick in the 2015 draft for the exhibition game. So she has done phenomenally and she's a well-deserved uh, rising star nominee. Uh, also out of that game, uh, Stephanie Kiochi, Alicia Eva and Jasmine Garner racking up 14 disposals each. And I guess one thing that was pleasing to our eye, even though she had the knee strapped up and she seemed to be moving a little slow or cautiously, Moana Hope got herself into the game at last with 12 disposals and two goals for. Is this the point where she's finally turned the corner? 
you'd hope so because I did feel almost sorry for her. She had so much hype and, you know, consequently pressure placed on her after she became almost the unofficial face of the league in the build-up to the uh, beginning of the season. So I'm delighted that she's finally got into a groove and she's scoring goals. Having a look at the uh, Adelaide Crows team, of course, that uh, went down by two points uh, in Darwin last week. Erin uh, Phillips, again, huge. Uh, 20 disposals from her. Uh, and uh, Angela Foley, the Northern Territorian, on her home deck, uh, racking up 13 disposals. Erin Phillips is an absolute superstar. I am just amazed with what she does. I think she's all but wrapped up Mark of the Year with that hanger she took against the Demons and she's just she's consistently rating high in all the key stats and she's just she's simply phenomenal talk about massive as well Ebony Marinoff and Chelsea Randall uh, 25 tackles between them 13 and 12 respectively in fact at one point uh, I think it was halfway during the second quarter both of them had eight tackles each that's incredible, but I do think that the Crows' tackling pressure is one of their best features. They, um, I'm pretty sure they lead the league for tackles, and Marinoff uh, is the best uh, tackler in the league as well, and she's gotten into the double digits in the last three games. So her tackling pressure alone, as well as the combined effort of the team, is absolutely amazing, and it puts the opposition team you know, in a very bad situation. Well, Olympic Park Oval, Sunday, who wins, Pies or Crows? I'm very undecided with this one because the Pies have, you know, they've got their three wins in a row and the Crows haven't played badly the last two games, even though they haven't got the results. So I am very conflicted and undecided about who's going to win that one. I'll put my neck on the line and I will say Collingwood in a very tight game, but... I think that might be the one that knocks the Crows out of the grand final spot. So, Crows favourites, but I just have this feeling Collingwood on that particular track at Olympic Park Oval look a lot better. That's a very big call. I hope it goes well for you. (laughs) If not, the South Australians will certainly let me know about it. Uh, uh, Finally, uh, Carlton and the Brisbane Lions at Icon Park. Boy, a few weeks ago, we were kind of looking at this game going, oh, could this be a battle for second spot here? You know, will the Lions be dicing with the Blues or the will the Lions say if the Blues get in or not? In fact, Carlton brought themselves undone courtesy of that loss uh, over in Perth. And uh, now they take on the Lions. And technically, again, Carlton could mathematically make it, but it would be an extreme scenario for them to squeeze in. I guess the advantage is of playing the last game, they get to know everything that happens before them. Yeah, that's very true. And I think the Lions, you know, they've got not an easy game, but they've done what they've needed to do this season. They've wrapped up the minor premiership. They've made sure they've got themselves into the grand final and a home grand final at that. And uh, the big question, of course, is, um, uh, and we don't know the side at this point that we record, is if Sabrina frederick Traub and Taylor Harris, who are both carrying a bit of an injury niggle, are going to be rested. Because for the Lions, besides trying to get the 7-0 clean sweep, there's really not much to play for. They've got the grand final spot. They've got the home final. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's safe to say that, you know, if they don't play or if they are rested, their absence will be noticeable, but it's almost it's it's not important, like you said they've done what they've needed to do, so I think they can, you know rest the players and they've got the luxury of being able to, thanks to their brilliant season so far Brianna Davey, huge again 14 disposals for uh, Carlton essentially uh, keeping them in the game Darcy Vessio, three goals as well but uh, simply not enough for the Blues to get over the line against Frio Uh, you're going to need I guess better performances from across the board because besides Davey and Tilly Lucas Rod no other Carlton footballer got into double digits when it came to disposals yeah, that's that's just not good enough from the Blues. And I think Brianna Davey, she's been their shining light. With her in the team, they just look a much better outfit. And I think if she didn't miss a couple of games with injury, I reckon she would be quantifiably the best player in the league. And it's same with Vessio. You know, she can't be the one always scoring the goals, even though she does lead. She's on top of the uh, goal kickers list. But you need your other players to be contributing because you can't just have one player kicking all the goals in this competition. For the uh, Brisbane Lions in their last game, Emily Bates again doing it week after week as a Rat Rover. 17 disposals for them. Emma Zilke, um, I'll call it now, she'll be named captain of the All-Australian team 
I'm putting that on the line. 14 disposals from her. Samantha Virgo, 12 disposals. Again, the huge, another underrated player. Kate McCarthy gets another goal to show that she's a, a, a dangerous player in, around half forward. Um, they've just got a lot of even contributors across the line, don't they, the Lions? that um, Again, as much as they they love having Harris and Frederick Traub there, it's almost like if one of them went down, they could still work their way around it. I think they definitely could. And I think the cliche is they're not a team of superstars. They're a superstar team. And everyone does their bit and they do it well. And you were mentioning, I reckon Zilke will be All-Australian captain. I back you on that call. And she's fourth in the tackling. Bates is um, top 20 for disposals. Um, McCarthy's the second best goal kicker in the league. What Every player is doing what they do well. And they're doing it consistently. So I'm really impressed with the Lions and how they've performed this season. So who wins, Lions or the Blues at Icon Park? Again, I reckon this one's a difficult one just because without, you know, Harris and Frederick Traub, the Lions will look a little different, but I reckon they can do it, although the Blues have won all their games at home, so I reckon that will factor into it, but I'm going to go with the Lions in a close one. Well, in this game, I'm going to go for the Carlton Blues to knock off the Brisbane Lions. And the only reason behind that is not just that Carlton have that home ground advantage, but I reckon if it's a, a tight game and there's, you know, a few players cramping up for the Lions, I think Craig Starsevich just might put the cue on the rack and not worry about the 7-0, and o, more worry about his players getting through fully fit in this game and that they're all fresh and ready to go for the grand final next week up in Queensland when they host it against either Melbourne or Adelaide. So I don't think the Brisbane Lions are going to sweat a loss here. So Carlton to win maybe by about two goals. Marissa, thank you very much for your time and for all your contributions to girlsplayfooty.com. We look forward to catching up with you throughout 2017. I'm Peter Holden. Just about time for me to get on out of here. Before I go, another quick reminder that you can hear this podcast as a radio program Wednesday evenings, quarter past six, Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time on RSN Carnival. That's digital radio in Melbourne or via rsn.net.au. Click on digital radio, then Carnival. And of course, you can download this as a podcast via iTunes or SoundCloud. Just search for Girls Play Footy. Don't forget to find us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Girls Play Footy. You can find us on Twitter at Girls Play Footy. And of course, our website with all the news that you need to know of AFL women's and what's happening with women's football at state league level and overseas by going to girlsplayfooty.com. It's been a pleasure having your company. And I look forward to catching you next time.